So I've been going through on Sunday evenings the book of Colossians, and I kind of feel, know how Jude felt. I had a desire to share something specific with you, but God had changed it. I thought I'd be in a different spot in Colossians by now, and I wanted to talk about children, raising children in these days that we live in. And uh, so the title I had come up with is out of a verse I'm going to be sharing, um, as dead men in desolate places, kind of appropriate for last days, um, not necessarily appropriate for marriage. At least it doesn't sound good. <laughs> but, but maybe it fits. Um, we'll see as we move along here. It's good to be a dead man. And, uh, but hopefully marriage is a blessing, and we, it is designed to be a blessing, and we'll be thoroughly going through this, hopefully. So I won't ask for a raise of hands, but in your heart, you can raise your hand. So you might be saying, marriage, here I am sitting here. I'm not married. I was married. My marriage is fine, however, but um, we know that the Bible is written for our admonition. It's not just about physical things. It also has spiritual truths. So I might ask, are you married? And ultimately, maybe you've been married. And this is a, a picture of what God says it's supposed to be. This isn't, we all fail. Some marriages have failed. I've failed in just about everything I've ever done. The Bible says that there's none good, no, not one and that we all need help, and, uh, but it's supposed to be a picture. So we want to see what the ideal and the goal is. So marriage is painting a picture for us. And if you're not married, then I would say, okay, well, have you been married? Or do you think you'll ever get married? It's good to know these things. And ultimately, we know that the church is called the bride of Christ. So we have a husband. So as we learn of marriage, we're learning of a relationship that we're supposed to be having with our God, and he is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. And my verses, I, chapters I was planning on going through ended up coming down to a few verses. Wives, husbands, children, fathers. And uh, we just saying of that too, we're all children of God. So as you have a child and you're raising a child, I think God allows that to happen because he wants to know he wants us to know his heart as being a dad. He wants us to know how he is towards his kids. So whatever the Bible tells us a husband's supposed to be, it's because that's who he is. So even if you're not a husband, you can learn of that. If you're not a wife, which I'm assuming we all would claim to be the bride of Christ, we can learn of all of these things. And uh, just to back up a little bit, I think it's pertinent. Colossians 3.12. If you would turn with me there. And again, this had become one of my favorite books now. And anytime you teach through a book, it becomes your favorite book because God works in you and it's, it's, it's good. Some of us, whatever gift you have, God will meet with you there and equip you there and you'll quickly learn to appreciate these things and grow in it. But it says in chapter 3, verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also must do, you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, 
Verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. We realize all of these things that we're reading about are fruits of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in you and comes upon you, he wants to do something through you and one of the fruit is peace. God wants us to have peace and you can have peace. You should have peace. So when it says let the peace guide you or rule you, that word rule, some of us appreciate sports maybe more than others. It actually is the same word as used umpire, like calling you out or safe. How do I know what God's will is for your life? Seek the word, pray, let him speak to you. And sometimes it's just as simple as, do I have a peace about it? And, and if you're willing to be guided and directed by him, he'll show you. He wants to show you. He has a plan, and he wants to work that plan in your life. You don't have to convince him to share something with you. He doesn't like hide-and-seek. He wants you to know his will. And sometimes it's just a matter of letting that peace, you know, I don't have a peace about that, then don't do it. Or I do have a peace about that. And sometimes we can get confused because we're emotional creatures, and our flesh has feelings. And sometimes I might be anxious because I'm nervous, but the peace of God can still be there. And we just have to learn to grow and discern through all that. And that's why... The blood is so important, as we just sang about. Because when you mess up, he's not sitting there as a taskmaster. We're going to read what a father's supposed to be like. And he wants us to get it right. And he encourages us. We can just walk with him. So let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which you were called. We are to have peaceful lives. 16, and this is multiple times listed when it talks about being filled with the Spirit. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. How does the word of Christ dwell in you? First, it needs to get into you. So read your Bible. Richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And just how important it is to what you fill your ears with, right? As the Sunday school song goes, be careful, little children, what you hear, what you see, what you touch, what you do and to be filled with things spiritually that will admonish you and grow you. The Bible tells us, Paul wrote, right, whatever you feed is going to grow. If you feed the flesh, the flesh will get strong. If you feed the spirit, the spirit will get strong. So what are we feeding ourselves? And just in regard to, again, Colossians 1 and 2 doctrine, Colossians 3 and 4, how it works and looks in your life, the practical being of it. And to begin here, to be practical in order to live a life for Christ, you need to be filled with the Spirit. It's not enough to be good at something. In fact, usually if you were to do a study through the Bible, things that people were good at were usually where they fell because they, trust, they trusted in themselves for it, not God. Usually my greatest strength is my greatest weakness. And things that I think I can't do, and God calls you to it, then he'll be the one that does it through you. And you'll be crying out to him, begging to him, and you'll walk away knowing that you had nothing to do with it at all. Let this song and this hymns and singing. God, read Revelation. There's a lot of singing going on in heaven. Some people pick churches because of the worship because it, it's all about how they feel. Worship in heaven is about him. In fact, everything here is about him. It's, it's that simple. It's all about Jesus. You could just put that on your shirt and walk away. That's life. But I was listening to a radio station and I heard this song, thinking on marriage, thinking on this study, and it just kind of spoke to me. So I'll speak to you. I'm going to, some lyrics. Lately, and maybe this is true in your life, maybe it's not, but lately been down so low, my faith seems to come and go. Some days, Father, I don't know. 
how did my love grow cold? But you help me see again, this world is not the end. Jesus, my sweetest friend, you're worth the suffering. When every day's just another struggle, and this really hit me, when every choice is an act of war, gotta pray, gotta press on to the prize worth fighting for. Every time we make a choice, it's an act of war. You're either fighting God, fighting someone around you, or your flesh. And we get to choose who we're gonna fight. And in marriage, I mean, God doesn't give us marriages because I needed help and he brought the best person in the world to my life, although he did, but it's not that I'm to bring her down, right? We all, as we, you live with another sinner in your home and you're gonna find out, it's great when you're engaged and all of a sudden reality hits and wow, they're not as perfect as I thought they were. Wow, I'm not as perfect as they thought they were. And now, then have kids, that'll make it better, right? Yeah, pun intended, laugh, right? We know which is why verse 17 is so important. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So all of that, be filled with the Spirit in everything that you do, and immediately he talks about marriage right afterwards. And before we get into that, the Lord asked me, I'll ask you. Meditate through the Scripture. Don't just read it, study it. Whatever you do, what are you? What do, what do you do? Sometimes God asks me, "What are you doing?" Oh, I don't know. I'm walking, I'm trying to get by. I don't know what. What am I doing? You, you explain it to me, Lord. What should I be doing? What are we doing in marriage? Why do I do what I do? Why do I react the way that I react? And I'm here to read, not because I have it perfected, not because I'm even necessarily good at it. Because this is what the Word of God says. This is our goal. And not that we're to here to condemn. Maybe you've had a failed marriage. You know, God's gracious. Moses allowed it because of the, our hearts are hard, right? We can get a hard heart. We're going to be reading about that when it gets to husbands. But he wants us to strive for perfection. Let's exhort each other. Let's try to grow in every relationship and every aspect of our Christian walk that we have. And the truth of the matter is, is that... You are on a mission from God. I am on a mission from God. You have a mission. There's a purpose and a goal for every single person that he created. We were talking about that in the Sunday school meeting last week. Right? If you're called and you have a gift and you have a ministry, if you're not doing that, then what are you doing? Whatever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord. Well, this is something... I can't do heartily unto the Lord. I don't really know. Well, then don't, why are you bother wasting your time? You know, he's gracious and he lets us get through things, but we're on a mission from God. It's important. Otherwise, why didn't he just save us and then take us home? Right? You get saved, you get baptized, they hold you under the water, you go home to be with the Lord. Don't come up for air, right? He has a plan for us, right? He lets us come up. We're to die to self, but then live. We, we're supposed to have an abundant life in Christ. And in marriage not just here in other, the, the prison epistles, right? Called the prison epistles because God, Paul was locked up, he was in jail, and he redeemed the time. He was on a mission. He didn't let his circumstances knock him down. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, he wrote them. In fact, they were, probably wrote them. Some of them are very similar. We're going to probably end up in, Col- in Ephesians by the time we're done here. Speaks about the same things. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk with Jesus. Whatever you do, do it heartily. 
this is what your home's supposed to look like. He puts it first in both places right afterwards. And why? Well, first of all, he loves kids. This is an example that kids are supposed to see what a Christian life is supposed to be like, what a relationship between Christ and the church is supposed to be like. And we're on a mission. Have I mentioned you're on a mission? This is how I'm trying to get through the word submit <laughs> and not get stoned up here. So, verse 18, <laughs> wives, submit. So submit, what does that even mean? Well, we all know it's the S word. You know, our flesh, it's not a natural thing, which is why he says, if you're going to do this, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the word actually is a word that is a military word, and it means to be sub underneath the mission. This is my part of the mission. I am not ahead of the mission. I don't get to choose the mission. There's a plan. God laid it out. Are we, going, are we willing to submit to God's plan for my marriage, for my job, for my kids, for anything? And I've never met anyone smarter than God. Maybe I know you haven't either. I'm sure we've met people that think that they are. There's all kinds of books that will contradict us that claim to be intelligent. And what does God call that? Foolishness. Wives, be in submission. And the word in the Greek, so I've been told, I'm not a Greek scholar by other people that have read this, it actually means voluntarily. So you have to choose to do that. And we understand that everything God does, he invites us to. Right? He doesn't make us do anything. So husbands, if you're reading this to your wives, it's not your job to make them do it. I still remember the first time my wife came home from new Christians, new believers, a woman's day. I think it was in Grand Island, so she was away for the weekend and came back. And we're both new, and I'm reading, and she says, she walks in and said, how was it? And she just stared at me and stared at me and then turned around and walked away. <laughs> that good, huh? Then she came back and she looks at me again. She goes, you want to know what they told me I'm supposed to do? Uh, I don't know. How do I answer this? I don't want to mess up. She goes, they told me I'm on a mission from God to serve you. <laughs> like, I'm glad they told you that. <laughs> but it's true. We're, we're we're all, we have a goal. And again, what is your marriage for? So if, you're, if your wife has a mission and you have a mission, what if they don't line up? Well, there needs to be direction. Well, God's like, yeah, I'm the one that neither of you should have a mission. I have the mission. Come to me. Seek me. I'll tell you why I've put you together. And it says, wives, submit to your own husbands, which is important, because that's the mission, that's the goal. You're, women are inferior. They're not to submit to any man. If you're not married, don't submit to anybody that claims to have some authority over you that's not your dad. You can wait to be married, and if there's people persuading you that it's not biblical and you're dating and they go to this church, feel free to let us know. Richard will talk to them. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and that can be quite controversial. So what does that mean? As is fitting in the Lord. Well, first... Before we get into that, well, we'll get into that first, then I'll go back and talk about it. So, it's not as if, don't, you don't need to submit, submit to your husband as if he's the Lord. So, some people 
wrongly will say that. Well, I'm, I'm the husband, you need to submit to me. Because it says, submit to me as unto the Lord. So as you're listening to me, it's like you're listening to the Lord. That's not what it says. That would be talking about uh, the extent of what they were supposed to do. It's not as if your husband were God. It's not as long as I believe he is in the Lord's will. Well, I'll submit to him as long as he's doing God's will, because we're on a mission for God. So if he's doing what God wants, then that's not submission at all. Now, basically, you're saying I'm the one deciding who it is. So then you wouldn't need to submit to him. You would just be dictating to him. So that would be talking about the limit that you're supposed to do it. But it defines the motive. And this is God's order. There's no place that we go where there's not an order, right? Somebody has to be in charge. Otherwise, there's chaos. And... uh, it's not about who's better or worse. It's just about how he decides something's going to happen. He's had presidents that were not all that respectable, but it's because he decided that's who he's going to put there. It doesn't mean that they're better. We know that. But it defines the motive, and that's part of the, a woman, a, a wife's walk with God. Her role in the mission, it's not submitting to the husband equals not submitting to the Lord because God's the one that told you to do it. So as you're on this mission and you're going, and we understand Sometimes people get asked to do things that are ungodly. Like we were just going through Daniel, and they were going to try to find fault with him. So what did they do? They had to pass a law that made prayer illegal. Not just prayer, but prayer to anybody other than the king, to Jehovah. So in other words, he was following every other rule. They couldn't find anything. He followed the laws of the land because God had told him to. But when it came to violating the commandments, he says, that I'm not going to do. So no, no woman, no anybody's ever dictated. Paul was in jail for not giving into the law when it told him to violate the law of God. And I was right at, uh, I can't remember what time of the day it is, uh, on the radio station on CXV, they ended up, there's a family show that I don't get to listen to very often Um, but just one day I happened to be driving and they were having an author come on the show that wrote books on marriage and things like that and they were talking ahead of time wondering what percentage of marriages in the world do they think have some form of abuse going on in it because he wrote books like this and then they were wondering how many in the church and I was astonished. Now, abuse can mean many things. It's not just physical. It can also be emotional. But when he came on the show, he said they found that about 30% of marriages have abuse going on in it, misrepresenting God, the heart of God. No wonder there's so many people that can be discouraged. And then they asked him, well, how many do you think in the church are? And sadly, you know, the church is a generic word, right? It doesn't mean... Bible-believing, evangelical, people that call themselves Christian, but it was the same percent, 30. He goes, I I go out and I talk to people, and unfortunately, there's things that people just don't get, and he's convinced that they're not saved, the abusive side. But So marriage, what it, it isn't, it isn't our idea, right? We didn't come up with this idea of marriage. In fact, the very first human ever created was married because God told him to be. So marriage is something that he gets to pick the rules on because it's his thought. Um, It's not for our pleasure. Marriage is pleasurable. 
a lot of things that we do are pleasurable, but it depends upon the motive of it. We shouldn't just be seeking to get something out of it, right? What does the Bible say? What, is, what fulfills all the commandment? Love God and love others. And sometimes the natural side will say, well, what about me? We used to, my unsaved coworkers, we used to joke about that all the time. In the movie Rocky, he goes, what about Polly? Who's going to take care of me? I'm going to do this for you, but who's going to take care of me? And you imagine a world when you didn't have to worry about making yourself anything. You can just be free to die. And in that same world, everybody is just trying to take care of you. That's heaven. Let's, let's practice that. Marriage, just take care of the other person and do everything that you can for them in Christ. Submit yourself to God's mission. Play the role. And it's not natural. So some women might say, I don't submit easy. That's just not who I am. Well, I'll tell you quite frankly, it's not anybody. Nobody does that. That's not our human nature. It doesn't mean God hasn't called you to it. It's a supernatural thing. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And husbands, we realize that. So have patience. Have grace. You do your part. And it doesn't matter because the mission, you're on a mission from God. Marriage has a goal. And just like evangelism, you can go out and evangelize. What's the goal? That people get saved. But people getting saved, you can't do anything about that. All you are is told to call to, to, a, to a play. Do, do your role. You be faithful in what God's called you to. He'll take care of the outcome. So you're not called to make sure that the mission even comes to pass. You're just called to say, this is my play. This is my part in it. I'm going to do what God told me to do because that's how I worship him. This is my act of worship for my God is I'm going to fulfill my role in what he says is going to work for his glory because we can't know his will unless he tells us. We can't supply the need that we have to serve in him unless he gives it to us. We can't do anything apart from him. It's not for our pleasure. Right, Ephesians, Philippians, Second Thessalonians, it all says that we're created for his good pleasure. And sometimes we just want to be married, we don't even know why, right? And it tells us back in Colossians 3, um, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And the last time I thought through this, the Lord had spoken to me, that when you want something that God hasn't given you, and you go out after it, you're coveting it. And if God's not giving it to you, the act of doing it is, is idolatry. You're going to another God to get something that you think that you need that God isn't giving you. If God hasn't brought to you a wife or a husband and you're going out after it, it's idolatry. It's not healthy. You're coveting something that God hasn't done. It's not wrong to desire a godly thing. It's just wrong to go about it in the wrong way. You need to find out how that is. And sometimes people will go to lengths, right? And they get into trouble. I've had family members, I've had multiple people I've known that have gone out and married people just so that they could get married. And it doesn't take long, they're not around anymore. They'll drag you down. Even some claim to get saved just so that they could get here. And then as soon as uh, they get married, they don't want anything to do with God again. And think about that. You're joining yourself to somebody that you're supposed to be on a mission with. Somebody that's not saved, what mission are they on? It's dangerous. So what the, I asked earlier, who in here is married, right? We're all the bride of Christ. The church is called the bride of Christ. The church, which means Jerry, uh, Jesus didn't marry unsaved people. He only married the church. 
The church is the bride of Christ because he's investing in us and doing something in us, and we're on a mission with him. We need to be careful about covetousness and desiring things that aren't, they're not good for you. It'll hurt you. We don't say that because we don't want people to be happy, but seeking your own happiness only will cause you harm. It'll hurt you. You don't want to be subjected to somebody. Um, I heard one pastor talking about he was out on a mission field and met this woman that has been single and she was older, very godly woman, had high respect for her and said, you know, you're not, you're not unattractive, you're faithful, you're doing all this stuff. You've never been married? And she's like, no. And he's like, if you don't mind my asking, why? And she just said, I've never met a man that can master me which is healthy. If you can't find someone that you're willing to submit to, then don't marry them. Are they walking? Are they on the same mission as you want to go on? It's important. Otherwise, you're just getting yourself into trouble. And due to time, I think I'll skip it, but there's that whole thing with Balaam and Balak, right? Jude tells us, in the last days, there'll be false prophets, then he says, some have caused to err in the same era of Balaam. And then what did uh, Balak do? He was sent to curse the people of God. He couldn't. He blessed them instead. And that goes through Numbers chapter 22 to 24. And then next thing you know, Numbers 25, it seems like a totally different section. Um, there's men and women in, having relations that they weren't supposed to have relationships with. And next thing you know, God brings his judgment. And it tells us in Numbers 31, 14, that Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands and captain over hundreds who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Pastor Rob just taught through this not long ago. Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among them in the congregation of the Lord. And it tells us in Revelation 2, verses 14 to 16, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you have also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. And Jesus' response to them is repent. Just repent. It's not healthy. It's not good. I'm not going to do that. So if that's what marriage is, and what is marriage, right? And we know that it was Adam, not new to any of us, right? Adam was created in God's image. And some people jokingly but truthfully will say he needed a helper. He needed, he needed help. Men need help. I mean, men do need help. I don't have to tell you that. <laughs> Maybe some men I need to tell that to, but we need help. So he was going to bring a helpmeet suitable to him. However, then they will say that Adam, out of all of the people that might not have needed help, I would think it would be Adam, because everything that was of Eve was in Adam when he said that to him. She came out of him. The things that were taken out of him are things I'm lacking. He had children after his image. Adam was created after God's image. There's only two real men, Adam and Christ. Everything that we think of as feminine and masculine. But what Adam was doing is sitting there looking, Mr. and Mrs. Elephant, Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe, Mr. and Mrs. There was no way of him expressing 
God's love to another being. So he took Eve out of him and said, now the two can be this picture of love that I want to create, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a picture of Jesus in the church. It's not good that you're alone. You need to have an object to express God's love through. The two became one. One became two, now the two can become one. And what did he need help with, right? He needed help to express God's love. He was created to worship God. She wasn't created to do his laundry, although that might be a service she loves to do. My wife does my laundry. My wife does my everything. (laughs) Thank you, honey. It's not wrong that they do that, but that's not what he said I needed help with. I need help with everything. But ultimately, to serve, like emotions. I used to sit there sometimes during worship, seeing people cry, saying, man, they seem really spiritual. Why can't I get broken down over music like that? And God finally answered me. He says, do you want an emotional relationship with me? I'm like, I don't know. I'm a guy. I don't know. Do you want me to have an emotional relationship with you? He's like, just love me and keep my commandments. Okay, that I can do. Give me a to-do list. You know, I'll do that. I, I can't force feelings upon myself. I don't need to. My feelings were taken out of me and given to my wife. She's very emotional. We, com- we compare. We're very compatible in that way. She has a lot of things I'm lacking because the two of us make up one. So when you have two things that weren't separated and put back together, I remember doing a Sunday school lesson years ago wondering how am I going to teach this to kids? A man, and a, a man and a woman, which is the next thing that we talk about. What is marriage? It's between a man and a woman because a man and a woman are the thing that made up the original. Eve was taken out of Adam, so Adam and Eve make up what man was intended when he was made in the image of God. And I ended up drawing this really bad picture, because I can't draw, of a, of a human. And then I drew a squiggly line through it and I cut it out. And then I cut out lots of pictures of them. And if you were to take two of the ones on the left, it doesn't make up what the original looked like. You needed one from each to make up the original one. And you don't have to get into detail. You can teach kids things, but it's a truth that's, that's heavenly. Adam and Eve worship a picture of Christ in the church. And think about that. How intimate, how close, what you get to learn about, if you, even if you're not married, think about what it would be like to be married. And sometimes we can be rough on each other Little things can bother us, but how intimate is it? That's the relationship God's trying to get across to us. That's what he wants your relationship with him to be. He knows everything about you. You can't hide anything. You do know that, right? Sometimes I forget. Sometimes we go into our prayer closet, and sometimes we go into our other closet thinking he can't see in there. He sees everything. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. He still loves you. Be real with them. And Malachi 2, right? It talks about God hates divorce. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. It's not the unpardonable sin. However, God does hate it, and and the reason I'm glad he hates it, because we're the bride of Christ. Can you imagine if God liked divorce? He's never going to leave us. This is our goal, what we're to work to towards, but we're frail, we're human. We have hard hearts. He doesn't. It's a picture. God is good. And in that Malachi, he says God desires godly offspring. One of the reasons why he hates divorce, he wants kids to learn of him through looking at the family and how the family is set up. Another thing that we fail in, 
but we try, right? We, we go through this and we are to picture to our children a love relationship between a husband and a wife so that they can understand how much God loves the church. And if we don't teach them that, how are they going to do it? And unfortunately, the world is breaking down. You can't get it by watching TV. Dads are doofuses. We're not supposed to tell anybody about that. It's supposed to be a secret. But any sitcom will tell you, if that's where they're getting their view of what marriage is, they're getting it all messed up. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Love your wives. And we all know that word love is agape. It's a self-sacrificial love. It's sacrificial, non-emotional. It's contrasted to bitterness. You ever think about bitterness? And I know you do. You just might not think of it as bitterness and that the Bible talks about it, but we all get bitter. What does it mean to get bitter? Oh, that left a bitter taste in my mouth. Yes, something that I tasted and went into my mouth, I didn't like very much. Sometimes you're around someone and they can rub you the wrong way. We can come up with all different kinds of things other than it. The bitterness has roots and the roots of it are flesh. And just as I'm trying to get my lawn nice now that I'm retired and have time and I spend more time in it, and you see roots, you can grab the root and pull it out, but if you don't get the roots, it's back before you walk away. They just keep growing and growing and growing. Bitterness has roots, and the root of bitterness is the flesh. You've got to deal with the flesh. It will just keep coming back. That's why he says here, this is what walking in the spirit looks like. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, just with the mindset of this bitterness that can come in marriage. And again, I understand, right? Because the closer you get someone, the more it hurts. So if someone else treats you bad, yeah, whatever. But I expected more from them. Well, what mission are you on? Paul says, whoever wrote Hebrews, uh, pursue peace with all people. And if you're to do it with all people, then surely you're to pursue peace with with your spouse. And holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. So bitterness defiles you. We need to be looking for it, and we need to kill it at the root, which is the flesh. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. Colossians 3.19 Husbands, love your wives. Do not be bitter towards them. That's the exact same root word that we read in Hebrews. And how do we do that? Well, it tells us in the beginning of the chapter, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You want to not have a bitter heart. Don't Stop looking around and look up. If we don't get anything else, out of today. Look up. Lord, what mission am I on? Lord, why are you allowing me to see sin in anybody anyways? Who am I to judge? If you're letting me see something, it's because A, you either want me to pray for them, or B, you want me to be help you the solution. And even if it's in somebody you're really close to and it hurts you, 
it doesn't mean you're not on a mission. It just means it's that much more important. Why are you letting me see this in them? Why is this person not... I, you know how hard it is to get them to come the way that I want to go when they want me to go that way? And quite frankly, sometimes you both have things that you're doing, and sometimes they contradict each other. And how does that all play out? As some people say, when people bump in you, what do you spill on them? If your heart's full of Jesus, you'll be spilling Jesus on them. Stop looking around and look up. Set your mind on things above. That word, set your mind on things above. That word, set. Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23 says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. That might cause me to be bitter. And be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to him, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. For you are not mindful of is the same word as set. Set your heart. Set your heart on the things of God, not on the things of men. When something happens in your life, look up. Be filled with the Spirit. How do you think the Holy Spirit's going to react to someone? When they want, they, he wants you to be his hands and feet. If your, heart, if your heart is filled with him, then what will come out will be there. If you turn with me to 1 Peter. Anybody that's come listen to me before, there's safety in just reading scripture. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And I'm going to be reading quite a bit here. Kind of goes along with what we've been talking about. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, and just as we sing, we're about to get into children, if you don't have children you are a child if you're born of God not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance but as he who called you is holy he who called you that means you're on a mission you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written be holy for I am holy and if you call on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. He was brought to earth, manifested in a human body, and now he wants to be manifested in your home through you. Christ in you, the, the hope of glory. 21, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. And again, this command, this doctrine, this exhortation is only for believers. If you're not saved, you can't do it. 
first of all, you won't want to do it. And the ability to accomplish it hasn't been given you. These aren't things that he's saying, try harder. You can get it right if you just dig in. He's like, these are supernatural things that are for my glory that only I am going to give you the power to do. You need to be born of it. 24, because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Can you imagine just getting rid of all evil speaking in your marriage? How that would change you. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as a, to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If God has allowed you to see sin in someone else's life, especially in your home, you're a priest. What do priests do? They offer up a sacrifice. In your heart, you offer up the blood for those that you love to God, which is the only acceptable offering that he ever gave. Job offered up daily sacrifices for his kids. We ought to be doing it for our kids. We ought to be doing it for each other. Offer up Jesus in your heart to God. Pray for them. Beg for them. It is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Five, I'm sorry, six. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And I wrote in my Bible, you are on a mission from God. And because of that, 13, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to kings as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And we are learning more and more how foolish and ignorant unsafe people can be. Don't they just constantly baffle you, the things they come up with? Our world is getting insane. We're to submit one to another. We're all called to submit. 16, as free, you have a choice. 
yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And now he's talking about submitting. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. So we don't even have an excuse if we're treated bad to have a bad attitude. For what credit is it if you are, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, the Holy Spirit in you, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Do you believe that? For in this manner, in former times, the holy woman who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughter you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Understand how hard that is, how unnatural that is, and that it's not your job to make it happen giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. You're on a mission together. You're both going the same way. Help each other in their mission. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil, for reviling but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord look up and not around. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God cares. He writes a lot about marriage. This is not exhaustive. We could go on and on and on talking about husbands and wives. God put a lot in there because he cares a lot about it. Now let's pick on the children. They're not here. A little breath. Verse 20. Verse 20. 
Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children only have been given one command, which is honor or obey parents. And that's their role in the mission. And it seems simple, or not, maybe, if you're a child. But again, we're all children of God. So our, my role as a husband is defined by God. And because I'm a child of God, I need to submit to him. He's a good dad. He knows what's best for us. I might not understand right now what it might hurt him more than it hurts me, but I should listen to him. Have you ever heard that said to you? Have you ever said that to your kids? Well, God says it to us. Trust him. He knows what he's doing, and he has a plan. God loves children. They have a role in the mission. And obviously a very common time, a very common verse for children is Colossians, or I'm sorry, we're in Colossians, is uh, Proverbs 22.6, and I think it's misunderstood often. Um, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And a lot of people quote that thinking, if I teach my child about Jesus when they're young, they're guaranteed to be saved when they get old. And it's not really what it says. Not that we shouldn't teach children about Jesus when they're young, um, but it actually says, train up a child in his way. And it's instructional to the parents, not necessarily a promise for the child. And just about every commentary that I read explained it that way. And as a parent, you need to understand your children. You need to know your child. I, I have two kids, and they're quite different from each other in every aspect of their life. And I need to understand when I'm raising them, and not that I did it well, but God had created them for a specific purpose, and it's my job to find out what their calling and gifts are and encourage them in those things. That's how they're to be brought up. That's how to live. The word train up in the Arabic means they used to take dates and crush it and rub it on the roof of the mouth to cause them to suck, to get them to feed. They're, they're getting, giving them a taste for Jesus. It also means to dedicate. Usually that same word is used when they're dedicating a house or the house of the Lord or utensils. They're dedicating something unto God. And we're supposed to devote them to God. And we know, again, Rob's going through the Old Testament. And Solomon wrote that verse in Solomon's kids. There isn't one of them listed that walked with the Lord. But it's not our job. Again, we don't cause the mission to happen. All we do is are faithful and are part of the mission. You're, you're told how to raise your kids. So do it and pray for them. We need to discern them individually and if we love our kids, we're going to do what's right. And the only way that they're ever going to believe the gospel is if they hear it, right? We know there's only one way to get saved, and that's it. And then it goes on from children uh, to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And I'm just going to read quickly Psalm 78. That's a verse that the Lord had given me for Sunday school, I believe, as well as raising kids. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just the first eight verses. Give ear, O my people, and this is a contemplation of Asaph, it's a teaching psalm. Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not, verse 4, we will not hide them from their children. 
telling the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. Three things we are going to tell our children's children. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. Verse 7, that they may, for this reason, set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set his, its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. And I don't think I'm going to get to Ephesians, but we're running out of time with new Sunday school teachers, and I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> but if you would turn to Isaiah 59, we'll end there. And again, I called and titled this Raising a Family in the Last Days. And you might, what's the last days part of it come? And uh, not only is it hard to define a marriage to the world today, but you can't even define, if you say a man and a woman need to get married, you can't even define that. Things are crazy. Understanding is crazy. We know the Lord's about to come. Judgment's coming. And we understand that God had written many things in the Old Testament just before um, the exile came and then through it. And he spoke to them during this time of judgment. And, and the Lord's been pressing on my heart that that's for us for today. Why did he spend so much time talking about that? And that's because it's there for us. So I'm just going to read Isaiah 59 and then we'll be done. But just listen for the pronouns because it goes back and forth. How does, what does he see as his people? What does he see as the believers? And what does he see as the world? And you'll hear things of prayer in here. And maybe this will hit home. How do you... Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your, your iniquities have separated you from God from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversities. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch viper's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies. And from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. That's a good reason to start a Christian school. They hatch viper's eggs. They weave spider's webs. Verse 6, their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace, which is supposed to rule our hearts, they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. 
Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, a new pronoun, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness, for brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the walls like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places, walking around a lost, dark world. We all growl like bears, just listen to each other, and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none, for salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him, that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands he will fully repay. So they, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them, my spirit who is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. Ends with good news. Hallelujah. God's coming back. Jesus is good. There is hope. And uh, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the marriages. I don't know if you've noticed, if you're not on the prayer chain, marriages in our body have been on the prayer chain like every day, probably for a reason. God knows what's going on. So, Father, we just want to represent you well. We want to have a peaceful life. We want to not be a lone ranger, but we want to be on a mission from you, called by you, filled by you, and to bring you glory. So please do those things in our lives. For those of us that are married, we just pray we'd represent you well, that people would see it and be hungry for you, encouraged by you. And for those of us that aren't doing well, just help. Help, Lord. Teach us to deny ourselves. Teach us to watch our mouth. Teach us to be filled by you that when we're bumped, we spill you on people, on our husbands, on our wives. 
Teach us to love you. Thank you for being a good dad. Thank you for being a good husband. Teach us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen.